Hey there, and welcome back to the Etsy Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Cody McGuffey, and today is a little bit different. For any of you that are interested in how Everbe started, what it was all about, maybe interested in my background just a little bit, you might enjoy this chat. Thanks to my friend, Craig, who really made this happen and really pushed me to kind of make this happen. I, I was pretty resistant to it at first, but anyway, you'll learn more later. But in this episode, we get to circle back on some of my memories. And we get to go back to childhood, through college, through e-commerce, and eventually starting Everbe. This episode is very special, very intimate, and honestly, pretty uncomfortable. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Everbe, and we believe that everyone deserves the opportunity to pursue their passions and live life on their own terms. We believe in making e-commerce accessible to everyone in the world, no borders, and using it to make a positive impact in our families and in our communities. Everbe is the Etsy business tool that helps Etsy sellers find winning products, gets more sales, grows their business. And you'll with Everbe, you'll quickly understand what people are searching for on Etsy and then what they're buying on Etsy. So you can just make more of what people actually want to buy. And when you wonder where your listing is showing up on the Etsy search results, our rank tracker will show you just that, where your listing is showing up and for specifically which keyword. So you can understand which keywords of your listing are working and which ones are not. And when you have that fear, that, that dreaded Etsy suspension due to some accidental trademark infringement on your listing, Everbee will let you know. Our trademark monitor is built specifically for this. It scans, automatically scans, every single listing in your shop every single month and will let you know of any potential issues with your listing in regards to anything with regards to trademarks. So it's a tool you guys need to be using to grow your business. If you're not, you should be at least be using it for free, everybee.io. So go and do that, but also hopefully, hopefully you enjoy this episode. Let's jump in. All right, welcome. We've got Cody from Everbee here. So Cody, you interviewed me a couple of weeks ago or last week, and uh, we had a great interview. I've obviously been selling on Etsy for years. I use Everbee. Uh, I share it with all of my uh, all of my friends and people who are in e-commerce and Etsy sellers. But it struck me that we've never heard your story. We've never heard how you got into Etsy, how you got into Everbee, how you created this amazing tool that helps e-commerce sellers. Um, can you? Kind of like take me back like mm. where are you from where were you born like mm. how did the idea forever be and just kind of take us through that journey that's awesome man. correct seriously man i appreciate you doing this like, kind of stepping back why are we here um like you mentioned we're we just had a interview last week that's not recorded or i'm sorry it's recorded it's not published yet so for anybody yeah. listening that'll come out soon hearing craig's story which is super cool um but then craig had this cool idea of hey would you be open to like flipping this thing around and like you know, telling your story about Everbee. And I don't know if you would, I don't know if, if you see it this way, Craig, but I feel like I was resistant, a little bit resistant to it at first. I'm like hesitant, I guess. Um, You're a trooper in the end. It's really cool to do this. Yeah, man. So thank you seriously for, um, I guess, bringing that to, bringing that up as an opportunity and kind of flipping it around because we haven't told, I haven't told Everbee's story a whole lot yet. First of all, because I think it's like a story in the making, right? So like, why would you you know, jumped again and like start telling a story. But I think you kind of brought that, you enlightened me and you're just like, I think that's the coolest part about it actually is telling the story while you're in the middle of the story. Yeah. And, and like the motivation, like, like what problem are you trying to solve for, for fellow e-commerce? Cause I know you came from the e-commerce world and I'd, yeah. I just to hear the details. I've never, I've known you for about a year, year and a half now. And I, I've never heard that full story. I'd love to hear it. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's always messy and it's not clean and it's not clear, but I'm sure you'll ask the right questions and pull that stuff out of here and kind of put, yeah. put the puzzle pieces together, but let's start from the beginning. Uh, where, where, where were you born? Yeah. San Diego, California, uh, I was born. Nice. Um, I grew up with an amazing family. Uh, like my mom was just awesome. My dad was awesome too. Um, I have a stepdad. He's a really like a amazing, amazing stepdad been in my life pretty much as another dad, you know, to me, uh, one of six, um, six kids, all my moms, four wow. sisters, I'm sorry. Four, yeah. Four sisters, uh, one brother, nice. uh, two younger. So one, one younger sister and one younger brother. And then I have basically three older sisters. Um, it's crazy talking about this actually. It's kind of funny. <laughs> So um, what did you want to be when you're, I don't know, 16 years old, you're thinking about college, like, like, what was your, what was your dream? Yeah. So um, I think my whole dream was always to be like a professional baseball player when I was younger. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, I was like, an, I was an athletic kid or I wanted to be athletic. Uh, and I was always in sports. My family's played sports. We were a competitive family uh, in a good way, like a healthy way. And so I was always playing sports. And then as soon as I got into high school, I started playing high school football, um, got super into, into that. And went to a small high school, 400 people totally in, total in the high school. Um, so like 80 people per class, approximately 85. Someone was in my graduating class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when I was about 15, you asked about 16, I was about 15. I started kind of like having this interest in going to college. Um, wasn't sure if it's gonna be military or gonna be college or whatever it was. And uh, I had this kind of thing of like, well, I want to play football, I think, Um and I wasn't that good. It wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't really like a, nat- a natural athlete in, in football. Um, but I, I did work hard. Like I, and I had this thing, a chip on my shoulder, maybe you could say is I wanted to like play college football. Um, for whatever reason, like in my school, my tiny, tiny school, by the way, public out in the, out in the country, um, small town, 1500 people in the town, Campo, California. And there wasn't like a lot, there was nobody actually that went to a college play college football on scholarship or anything like that. So right away, like, um, if I look back on it, that was one of the things that attracted me that no one's really done this before. So maybe I'll be the first, you know, or let's be the first. Um, and maybe there was somebody, I just wasn't aware of them. And so pretty soon kind of like, kind of got more serious about it, more serious about it. And, and just, um, decided like, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get a scholarship to, to football just because I don't know, I don't know anybody that's done it. And pretty much got pushed back. I remember from high school coaches, uh, specifically just kind of laughing in my face, like, that's just impossible. You know, nobody's ever done it from here. And so it kind of, it kind of made it more apparent that I needed to do this thing. Um, so speeding up a little bit, I really, really took it to heart to like achieve this thing. Um, I was in, I was in the gym all the time. I was, I was working with coaches on the side all see all year long. Uh, I went to football camps in the summer, um, I, just, I was, I was dedicated. I dedicated myself to that thing, to that cause, to that mission. And I look back on that. I was probably like extremely committed, extremely committed. And then eventually did get a scholarship to, um, to a small school, uh, NAIA school division and, uh, in the Northern California played there, um, had an absolute blast. Uh, one of the biggest challenges of my life for sure. So cool. And, yeah. And like achieve that, right. That was like my first, like kind of type of like, um, Oh, wow. You can actually commit yourself. And if you commit yourself, like with your whole heart, you yeah. can like, you could achieve it. And like, that was my, my first big thing. I'm like, wow, it's working, you know? And, so what uh, did you, what did you study? So you did football, you got a scholarship there. That's so cool, by the way. Um, what did you, uh, what did you end up studying in, in college? 
uh, it was a business school, Menlo College Business School. Um, and I didn't really know if I was even going to be in business. It wasn't really like that. It was like they just ha- they just happened to be business school, and I happened to be I wanted to play football. Um, marketing was was my I guess degree. Uh, if anybody that went to college for marketing or business in general, like it's like not really marketing. It's like corporate, <laughs> yeah. you know, like here's how a corporate like life looks like, and here's marketing how it fits in it. Pretty okay. borderline useless to be honest. Um, the one thing I did take away was, you know, the relationships that I built there, uh, the commitment, like li- moving away from home, right. Being on my own for the first time when I was, you know, 18 years old. So that was, that was helpful. I learned a lot of life skills there. Um, working two jobs while I was in school and also playing football, like just to like sustain my life up there. Uh, like that, those are all the things I learned, the soft things that I learned. Um, yep, some, uh, some work ethic there, some schedules, some, uh, how to organize. Oh man. Totally. Yeah. Like schedule. totally. Like I was, I was a server. I play, I was, you know, I was a server at a restaurant. Um, first, first, like a busser, right. Food runner, worked my way up to be a server, started communicating with people. And it's so awesome. Yeah. Greatest, one of the greatest experiences also worked for another gym, small gym. I was like kind of training people on the side too. Cause I was really into, you know, athletics. Um, but it was a blast, man. Uh, in my, how did that lead So, so, so you finish, you graduate from college, I assume you finish your college career and like, like as you, as you were going through the years of college, uh, like what was your top of the mountain? Like you're going to finish and move to New York city or move to San Francisco yeah. and do Silicon Valley. Like what was the, what was the dream? A good point. I, you know, at the time, probably I didn't really have like a really, really clear dream. Um, I knew that, uh, my family was, like I said, really, really strong family, um, close family, but there was always money problems in my family. Uh, we always had some financial burden, something that we were trying to overcome, or it was hurting our family somehow. And it always tied back to finances. Like we had this perfect family. When I say perfect, I mean, like we all loved each other. We we're all healthy for the most part. We all cared about each other. We, we, uh, we had the things, you know, Yeah. but like the finances were just such a thing, you know, in my, my, in my family, like somehow it was always kind of like led back to oh, this is a money problem. This isn't like a love problem. This isn't like a communication problem. This is a money problem. And so that's when it like started sparking to me while I was probably in college of like, I don't like this problem. You know, this, this problem is uncomfortable. If you could solve this, all your problems would be. Exactly. I'm like, damn, we have a perfect family, except for this freaking money thing. That's like hanging around, you know? And so that's kind of, it was lingering, lingering. And I pretty, I remember like hearing kind of my mom and um, my stepdad kind of talking about like health insurance and how it's so expensive in the U S and everybody lives in the U S you all, everybody understands this. If you're, especially if you're self-employed. Mm-hmm it was something we never really had like consistently. And I'm like, kind of keeping your fingers crossed that you didn't need any expensive procedures all the time. Yeah. And then we have it sometimes for a while, but then as soon as we had it, we basically complained about how expensive it was. And I was like, damn, like it was so confusing, you know, when I was, when I was younger and I just basically, I remember, I remember making this commitment. I'm like, dude, I'm going to like, I'm going to solve this money thing for my family once and for all, you know? And so that was a huge pillar point. Go ahead. What was, uh, what was your first venture into entrepreneurship? So like, you're in college. You're like, I'm going to handle this money problem. W- what was the kind of bridge into it? I know you mentioned you got into real estate. You did some e-commerce. Or like, how yeah. did that happen? Well, gosh, I mean, first entrepreneurship thing, it was probably goes back to when I was a kid. When I look back on it, when I was like setting up like a little tykes table, literally on my like, side of a corner in my, in my small town and selling stickers and Pokemon cards. I remember just like selling those things, yeah. uh, just trying to have enough money to buy something at the store, you know? Um, then moving it into like when I was in and I, then I worked for my, my family was always in construction. So very blue collar. So mm-hmm. I worked with my dad's, my dad had a company, a small business. Um, 
that was like literally like in trenches, like installing septic systems for people um, in the country. And like then my my mom and my stepdad had a business uh, in well drilling, which they drilled water wells literally for people. Oh. Um, so very like blue collar, like awesome work, work with your hands type of machines and stuff like that. Got so much exposure to all that. So I saw this like entrepreneurship thing happening in different forms. Like I saw it in my dad do it. And then I saw that my mom and my stepdad doing it. And I, I, and I saw it also in like other family members. I'm like, they, everybody's kind of supporting themselves. That's super cool. But man, it wasn't like what you think. It wasn't like, right. was there like a disconnect? Like you're studying like corporate business and how it yeah. works and like multinational company. And you have like a crew of two people drilling wells and making totally um, 30 bucks an hour. And you're like thinking like, like yeah, it's crazy universes. Like, t- tell me about that. Yeah, exactly. And it's totally crazy. Um, you know, you see them like doing things in a certain way, just doing how small businesses operate and they, they operate in a certain way. And me over here, I'm thinking like, this is not the right way. You know, this is, there's a better way for this. Like the work ethic and the work and the execution, like you guys are on it. You got that part, you know, but man, there's like a couple little tweaks here, little, little levers that you pull and this business is like stable, like you're good and like you're predictable. And like, there's just a couple tweaks you can make to this business, but it's funny when you're a kid, young, you know, young person, yeah. nobody listens to you, you know, <laughs> like, like, that's great. You're 13. You have ideas. We don't yeah. Like- Exactly. So no one this way for 50 years, you're not going to change it, right? Yep. Exactly. My granddad did this way, did it this way. And, and so no one really listens to you and rightfully so who's, who's like, why would they listen to some kid who has no practical experience doing it? Um, and, uh, and then, um, I started, I got this college job, uh, jumping to where I was like 19, I guess, 18 summer. And, um, I got back, came back home from my summer, uh, basically from, from school and then I heard about this thing called Cutco from another friend of mine selling Cutco knives, kitchen cutlery. Yeah, knives, like the trade shows. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I was like, man, you can make your own hours. And like, you could, uh, you could, you can make your own hours. You can get your own, you can create your own income. Like you could do all this stuff. And they're just like, yeah. And I'm like, sign me up. That sounds amazing. You can like hustle and like make money. Okay. And so, um, so I did that for a summer, super fun. Uh, learn the sales, like learn how to like, you know, talk to some, talk to people, like got the rejected rejection, all the sales stuff. Did you do that door to door? Did you hit up your own network? Like how, how did you sell the cut? Kind of, kind of both. It's mostly network based. Um, like you're gone, like you're calling your friends and family, like literally, you know, and trying to get a call with them. <laughs> I've got this new thing to show you. Yeah. <laughs> and now I look at, look, look back on it. I cringe, you know? Um, <laughs> but you know what, man? Like I just learned that nobody it's all good like it's okay just like execute and like just try your best and like be ethical and like work your butt off and people i don't know good things just happen and um during that summer that was the summer of my my freshman year uh so i was getting ready to go back to college and some major thing happened in my life um my my dad actually uh he had a stroke a major stroke and went out to went outside I would go out outside of my house every morning to his, like he had a house next to next to our house. And I would basically go see, see him every morning. We'd have breakfast together. And, um, you know, and he just, he wasn't awake. He wasn't awake. Um, and so never shared this before. Um, he, he wasn't awake and I'm like, I went to his bed and I'm like, dad, what's going on? You know? And he just wasn't responding. His eyes were open looking at me, you know, but he wasn't moving. And it was like the, I had no idea what, what was going on, of course. Um, but he also had a series, he had a history of MS, multiple sclerosis for anybody that doesn't know. Yeah. So he had this for like many years. Neurological issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was already like, um, pretty much paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, 
so he had that for a long time, like throughout, throughout my life. Um, but he, uh, but everything else was fine. I could still have conversations with him. He's still like my, one of my best friends that I could just talk to, talk, talk to him about stuff. And so we're like, I, or I, I basically walked in on my dad, you know, in this, in this state and we, uh, yeah, I mean, we just, I called my sister, we called the paramedics and it turns out he ended up having a massive stroke in the night. Um, and it was devastating, of course, for like my entire family, uh, because at this point we've gone bankruptcy. My dad had to go bankruptcy because of health issues, health concerns mixed with the economy, mixed with like other things kind of time what's that this is like the 2008 kind of era this is actually 2000 and yeah 2011 type of time yeah i guess so So a little bit after um but uh he yeah it turns out like that that shifted my entire life right there that moment right there shifted my entire life i didn't go to school the next year um or i didn't go back to college to play football I had to take a leave of absence for a year um my dad was in another hospital or actually in the hospital literally in icu for months and months at a time. I slept there for literally weeks, um, not moving, like not leaving the hospital. Um, we had to make a decisions. We had to make some tough decisions as me and my sisters, uh, had to make some tough decisions of, is he going to like, do we have, do we pull the plug or not? There was, I remember that those decisions, uh, it's like, you get, do you move on with your life? Of course you want to show compassion, but you gotta be responsible and you've got your own life to live, but also it's your thought looked, I could hardly imagine that's Totally, man. I appreciate you saying that. Like, um, it was a crazy time. Uh, looking back on it, I was like, that's insane how we went through all that at like, at a young, I would say a young age. Um, my sisters were young too. Like they were kind of starting their lives too. They're a little older than me. Uh, my dad wasn't married at the time. So it was pretty much me and my sisters. Of course, my mom played a supporting role from supporting us and stuff. But point is with this is, uh, it was a crazy time that threw a wrench in my entire life. Yeah. Um, but what it did is it, 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 it forced me to like nail, nail down my values, you know, and my values were my family, um, our stability in our family. And you'll hear me talk a lot about anything really about family, uh, because that's the core thing. Um, my wife, my now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, Christina, she was there with me every step of the way through my, all my dad's stuff. Like, can't thank her enough. Uh, cause it was messy. Like it was messy. Meaning like we became the primary caregiver of a human being of, of our dad yeah. in a matter of a couple of nights or one night we were like, we're talking about like inserting catheters myself, like inserting catheters into my father, right? Like we're, we're, we're like changing, changing diapers. We're like doing things that no, uh, 18 year old, no son, no daughter should be doing, you know, to their dad and no girlfriend to another, to their boyfriend should be having to deal with this stuff. Um, yeah. And, uh, man, I grew up that, that year. I grew up a lot that year. What was your next step after that? It's like, you had this traumatic experience and like, what was the, what was the next step? Like, what was the launch off? Did you end up going back to school? I did go back to school. Um, I, I ended up going to a community college for that year just to stay on track with everything. Um, cause I was still really committed. Uh, I found a way to work that, that summer. Um, cause finances again, were always this underlying thing of like, how are we paying bills? When my, now my dad's doing this and you got all this stuff going on and, how do we not lose everything that we have kind of, which wasn't a lot, but still my next step was go back to college and just press on. That's really what it came down to press on. Um, my dad was at home now at that point, my sister, we arranged, figured out a way to like arrange my sisters to like kind of have a schedule revolving schedule to support him while I'm going back to school. And then, um, that year, my, my dad ended up passing away when I was 20. Um, 
Sorry. And then that's no, okay. It's like part of the story. And, uh, and again, devastating. Um, but then just kind of continue to press on like life just moves on. Uh, and we have to just continue to march forward. And what happened at that point? I guess we just finished up, finished up school. You asked about like the next thing and terribly long answer about all this. Uh, but at that point, if we got, if we talk financially, I wanted to, I had this thing in my head, like a hundred thousand dollars a year was a lot of money. Yeah. And I'm just like, never really seen that a whole lot in our family. Definitely haven't had it like in a stable salary or a career. No benefits have ever been paid. Like benefits are not included in my family because we've always been self-employed and self-employed, self-employed or owning your own business in my family wasn't like nice. Like it was actually harder than going in a job, meaning like it would have been easier to go get a job. Um, Did you feel the pressure from your parent, from your family to like, live on the tradition of being self-employed, even if it was at like a lower level of income rather than like sell out and work for someone else? You know, man, that's a really cool question. Um, I've never been asked that. And the truth, yeah, the truth is yes, I have. Uh, I felt that pressure. I think naturally um, my dad was always really supportive. Like um, just like go do your own thing. You don't have to take over the family business and all that stuff, uh, which was awesome. Um, I feel like my mom and my stepdad, they would probably they really wanted probably someone to take over like what they've, what they built. Um, but I really was destined to like go on my own path. Um, and that my own path was a corporate career. And I was like, I'm going to just go get benefits. I'm going to, I'm going to get a good, a good salary. You leave your, you leave your work at work and get home at a reasonable hour. And like, don't have yeah, cause I saw the downsides of owning your own business. I saw so many downsides. There's constant stress and it killed my family. Uh, and it wasn't the, it wasn't the, like the nice, like self-employed, I'm proud business owner. It wasn't really that, you know, it wasn't ever that I've interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs and there's always this like wonderful, like, uh, you know, the, what do they call that? Like the, the, the highlight reel. And, uh, this is going very differently. I'm like, you know, you've obviously had some incredible success now, but like, um, wow, this is raw. This is real. Thank you. Thank you for being so vulnerable and open. Um, mm, thanks for asking the questions. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, so, so tell me about the corporate career. What did, uh, what area did you get into after that? Yeah. So I got into, um, technical recruiting, uh, which was basically I was, I went into, I recruited engineers for tech companies. Um, why did I go into this? I was searching for a career. I was interviewing it. Like when I first, when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to like make a lot of money. Um, that was, it was a core piece of course, going back to the family stuff. And then I also wanted to help people. Um, this was always like a thing and I didn't really see a connection when I was younger, right. It's like hard to make that connection when you're younger or you don't have experience in the business world. You think of money and you think you have to like go and like make, screw somebody over. That was my belief in my, in my family. Kind of, that was our core belief. Interesting. And, uh, so that was something I had to break through. Um, no wonder there was like money problems, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Having to sure. screw someone over or feeling like you had to screw someone over to make, make money. Yeah. Because our family was so humble and like our family was so hardworking and we just wanted to do it like the right way, which the right way was their way. And it was like, they did fine. They provided for, for me and my family and so grateful. It taught me so many things, but yeah. But it didn't have a ton of leverage. It didn't have a lot of automation. It didn't have no the tools that just accelerates and amplifies the, the beautiful, true work that they did. Exactly. And so, um, kind of family, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I yeah, man, it's, 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 it's crazy. And then what were they going with that? Um, so your corporate career, technical recruiting, you want oh. to help people, but also make a bunch of money. Where yeah. I remember interviewing it. Like when I graduated interviewing at the red cross, I'm just like, oh, that sounds like fun to help people. And like, that was a way, but like them didn't really have the money thing. Right. It's like, 
okay, so then I heard about this thing called like recruiting. You could like help people get jobs while also making like an awesome income for yourself. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool, you know? And so I went down that path. Um, I interviewed for a bunch of companies, got rejected by a bunch of them, of course, no experience, and then eventually landed once, landed somewhere. Uh, and spent spent an, a year a year and a half there, just like learning how to like talk with people, learning how to like help them, how to create win-win relationship, win-win deals, right? Basically like, okay, you want to get paid this? Cool. That works for us too, because we're going to make a little bit of money and like all this stuff, right? Putting together like a win-win-win solution. And um, so did that for a year and a half, eventually moved on to, that was more commission-based. Um, and then moved on to uh, a company called Qualcomm Technologies. It's a massive global tech company, a uh, super inspiring company to work for. Worked there for another, I guess, four, five, six, six years, something like that, doing the same exact thing, um, except I was only recruiting for them. During this time, um, I'm reading books now. Like I've gotten, gotten this like whole thing of like, I started having this mindset shift of like, oh, I don't want to like work for someone my whole life. Like, yeah. This like showing up eight to five, man, this is kind of like, what about what happens when I want to have kids? What happens when I want to like go on vacation for three months? You know, what happens when I want to increase my income and all these things started popping in my head. So I started reading books like Rich Dad Poor Dad was one of the first books I read. I was going to ask, what were those foundational, like maybe top three books in this era when you're like transitioning from, you know, employee to business owner? What were the Rich Dad Poor Dad? What what, what other ones? Yeah. So I remember lunch breaks at, at my first job. So basically six months into my first job, I started realizing like, whoa, this is like, not sustainable, right? Showing yeah. up every day, driving to work, checking in, suit and tie on. Uh, man, I can't do this. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I, I bought this book somehow. Um, one of my first books that I read and I was reading every lunch break. Nice. This is like before Audible and like stuff like that, right? Like yeah. I was literally like sitting out. Back, like literal books. Yeah, literally I was sitting outside on my lunch break for one hour lunch break. I'm reading this Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. Um, and then it was another, that led me down the real estate path. Like you mentioned. So going, going more real estate books, more real estate books. Um, but really it was rich dad, poor dad, and then think and grow rich and then outwitting the devil, mm, like three Hill, right? pivotal. Yeah. Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Those were like three pivotal books that really shaped my life. Um, and then at that point I'm like, oh, I need more time. I need more time to where I can work on my side hustle. I started getting this thing. My side hustle at the time was going to be real estate, real estate investing. I was going to buy properties, flip properties. I was going to buy properties, rent them out. I'm like, cool, this is the path. Got it. You know, and as soon as I can latch onto a path, I know how to like execute. I know I can work hard and figure out a way to do it. That's, I, I had this core belief. Um, so then Qualcomm basically gave me that leverage into, I can now have a little bit more time. I also have this income thing. You know, I'm, I'll, be on, I'll be on salary. I can still dedicate myself fully to this job, but I can also like work really like hard on the side and like start to do this side hustle thing. So my yeah. wife and I started, um, Christina and I started like researching like, so you got married uh, at this point. Sorry, yeah. Super cool. High school yeah. sweetheart or college sweetheart? Yep, high school sweethearts, yeah. I met her when I was, she was 16, I was 15. Um, wow. Together from high school from then and still am. Two kids now. Good for like, you. Literally a dream. So you're um, married at this point. You're starting to like, your eyes are starting to wander and in, back into entrepreneurship. Um, what, what were your first real estate deals? How did those go? Yeah, so... Um, the first deal that we bought, first we decided we we're going to do it, learned a whole bunch, took a lot of action, made a lot of calls, made a lot of mistakes. But mostly um, our first deal that we really did, I think, was a multifamily property in Arizona. We lived in California. Yep. Um, and we bought a triplex hmm. for like $80,000. Um, we did it on seller financing. So I, I learned all about creative real creative financing and all this fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. 80 grand. It was like vacant pretty much, like run down and figured out a way to... Um, Fix the basic things, rent it out, 
uh, and then we did a cash out refinance and then we financed it out. I know we're talking really technical right now, but um, point is we did really well on this first deal. And it was like, whoa, like you could create power. You have power when you have like knowledge and you execute. Um, then we kind of searched for another one. We couldn't really find a whole lot. So we ended up flipping properties in California. We ended up buying another one in San Diego, but it was more of a, a flip. Flipping, this is like buying for 200,000, selling for 250 or, or just like yeah. increments, quick fast transactional sales. Yeah. Like six month, four month type of deals. Um, and then them up, kinda, or is it literally just buying well and selling well? Yeah. We would always fix them up typically. Um, we learned all kinds of different, we did all kinds of different things like wholesaling and flip in real estate. Like it's, it's a thing buying yeah. fix and flip is a thing. Rental properties is a thing. We kind of did a mixture of all three of those things, but well, I was still having a wholesaling just for anyone. That's like where you, you buy it and you don't make any changes to it and you immediately sell it to another buyer before it even closes. Kind of almost. So you don't actually buy it. You actually just get the contract. Okay. And then you're just, then you then you take that contract and you sell it to somebody else, sell the contract for a higher amount, for a higher amount. You just mark up the contract. And as long as getting skills, it's not even having the own money. Exactly. I didn't use any money there. Um, so it's super cool to see it, but it's not sustainable, right? Um, it wasn't sustainable for me. Maybe it is for some people. I just, I've never seen it to be honest. I know a lot of flippers and stuff and they would all kind of agree that like, it's like a tough, tough business to actually make a living. In. It's, it's not, you're constantly working nights and weekends and yeah, never you're, better. You're only as good as your next transaction, you know? Yeah. That's right. Not a life I want to do. Um, so that was like our, our big push into real estate. And again, this solidified this core belief of like, Oh wow, we can learn something brand new mm -hmm. and like work really hard and study really hard and take a lot of action. And you can actually have results from it. That was a, that was my next thing that I saw after college football was like, wow. This is cool. Like you can actually, your, your actions can make a material change in your, in your life and other people's lives. Like that was yeah. cool. Um, Love that, man. Yeah. So then I, uh, then I got down this path of like, well, I'm still working full-time at Qualcomm and I'm just like, damn, like I do these real estate things, but I cannot like sustain e-commerce. This thing kind of like started coming up more and more on social. And like, I've just like tried you're to get seeing, You're seeing the ads of people in private jets and all that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was less about that for me. It was more like about this like financial or this uh, time freedom thing. Like people live this like digital nomadic type of life. Yeah, it yeah. kind of got me good, got me in there. I'm just like, at this point, I'm like, how do I just create it to where I have this business that kind of like just generates money on weekends, nights, whatever, all the time. If I sleep, I wake up with sales. Like, how do I do that? I want some of that, you know? And um, Amazon FBA was the thing. Um and I went down this path of Amazon FBA was my first e-commerce venture. What, what year was this at this point? You're still working at Qualcomm full-time. What year is this? This must be 20. What year is this? Um, I don't know, six years ago, I guess. Okay. Like 2017, 2016? Yeah, I guess so. That sounds about right. And uh, did that thing. I tried drop shipping too, by the way, in this, in this on Shopify and just didn't have any success with drop shipping. Uh, I saw these drop shippers like crushing it, but. Amazon FBA, just for anyone who doesn't know that, that's like where you get the Amazon Prime logo, you ship, you know, boxes and pallets to, to Amazon, they fulfill it for you so that you get like 48 hour shipping. Nailed it. Okay, exactly. awesome. So you're getting, you're sourcing stuff from China. Yep, you're exactly. You're putting your own brand on it, or is it white label? Like, like... Yep. Yeah, I put my own brand on it, um, tweaking tweaking things when I can. Nice. Uh, what kind of things are you doing? Yeah. So we started selling like physical, cause I was, again, like my wife was in physical therapy. Her, her career was in physical therapy. Um, I was in to sports and stuff. So we did physical therapy type of products at first. Um, it was cool. It was aligned with my core belief of like health and wellness and all this stuff. 
like like back rollers or like yeah. guns. Yep, exactly stuff like that. Yep, vibrating foam rollers, like stuff like that. Um, had some success, didn't crush it, but like I saw the inkling of like this could be a thing. E-commerce is a thing. I get it. Before that, though, we had a bunch of drop shipping failures. Before that, to be to be clear, um, drop shipping weird. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure it out. I know some people crush it, but we just couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and so then Amazon FBA, cool. Um, this led led down to like a path of like we had this side hustle going on. Why this corporate career, knowing that I wanted to be my full time hustle one day. Yeah. And at this point, like we're kind of in real estate, drop ship, real real estate, Amazon FBA, and also my full time career. And I'm like, I found myself just spread thin. You know, like, damn, I couldn't really, I had all these average things. I had an average job, a pretty good job, honestly, um, but still average. You know, I had this average real estate investment company, which wasn't doing a whole lot, it was okay. And I had this like average Amazon FBA company. And to me, this was like that, that beginning of this mindset of focus is the key, you know, like so- you, and I wish I probably would have listened to people or maybe I wish I would just saw this early on, but like I spread myself too thin for so many years thinking I could just do it all and be, do it all great. And, uh, and our life started to shift financially and stuff when we started realizing this, come to this realization and we started, we basically stopped real estate investment and we only went in all in pretty much on e-commerce. And that's was like when everything started to shift. Um, we started seeing opportunities that just didn't see before because when you're in it, you start seeing things. You, then, then we went from Amazon to Shopify to walmart.com. Like we started doing eBay a little bit and then Etsy, eventually Etsy. And love Etsy. It's like one of my favorite platforms. Man, Still totally. Today, I've sold hundreds of thousands of dollars. Etsy Same. Probably my number one platform. Same. Exactly. Um, I had more success on Etsy than I have on Amazon, Walmart, all of them put together. Wow. And at this point, um, I fell in love with like the e-commerce. Uh, I fell in love with, I'm in, I'm in love with business at this point, you know, just in general and growth. Um, but e-commerce was like one of my loves, right? It was like, dude, this is cool. You can like do transaction across the globe through any, with anybody, like without even talking to anybody, this is awesome. And I came from a technical tech companies now at this point, I've like had thousands of conversations about tech and technology and stuff. Um, at this point, my love for like software started coming, started exposing itself to, yeah. and at that, at one of these points in the middle of the e-commerce stuff, I'm just like, at one point we're going to build a software company to, and we didn't know what it was going to be. It could have been real estate. Cause I love real estate too. And I, you could kind of see this thing. I, I could fall in love with things. Um, I could force yeah. myself to fall in love with like certain things. And, uh, I love real estate. I love e-commerce. And I loved software at this point. And I love business. I love people. Um, I'm like, how do I align these things with like, helping people while also making a lot of money. Like, how do I do this? You know, there's a way, it has to be a way. Uh, launched a bunch of software companies at this point, you know, like our projects, I would, I would say not companies, projects that generated zero money. You tried different things and tried to get traction and yep. what, kind of, what kind of niches were they in? Real estate, mostly construction was one of them. Cause I was in kind of real estate a little, little like bit. Project management for construction, running payroll, like what kind of stuff? Not even that technical. Yeah. It was more like, Hey, like my family or like other there, there's people that own like tractors like let's create a marketplace to like connect them with like neighbors that, have, that need tractors for the weekend you know <laughs> like it like a like a like a turo or like an airbnb for a farm yeah. equipment yeah, exactly like oh, i literally so launched cool. launched this oh, project really cool it's cool um also launched this other project called uh that, that, that one was called um rentably terrible name 
Rently. Uh, it still exists on the Facebook, but there's literally nothing. There's nothing in the project. So if anybody wants to take that idea, take it. <laughs> um, then there's another one called uh, Handy Run, which is basically going to be like a tool delivery platform. So basically Instacart, but for like contractors nice. and people that need a parts from Home Depot of the world and stuff like that on the fly. Um, and then eventually kind of realized like, man, okay, I didn't, for whatever reason, didn't really work. Um, and then eventually like, I'm like, man, I really love e-commerce. I love the software thing. How do I connect these two? How do I bridge the gap? And then everybody was kind of born just naturally kind of like through months of kind of thinking about this thing. And I started realizing I was doing all this product research on Etsy through a Google sheet. And I'm like, I had these no tags and like frequency. Oh, I oh man, exactly. I was looking at the reviews. I was looking at the reviews for all these listings that I was tracking. And I'm like, oh, this one increased by five reviews. This one increased by three reviews. And I started using like the review review ratio, right? It's like, okay, well, average people leave 15, 15% of sales, leave reviews. Okay. I could generate this by the by monthly sales. And then I can get, I can get the total sales and divided by 12. And I, it was like, this thing was starting to be born, you know, slowly. Um, so you're making your own custom like like uh approximation algorithms inside a google sheet before you were ever making a software exactly yeah oh. um and this is coming from partially and i'll give full credit to like amazon tools right like i had a history of using amazon tools like jungle scout and like helium 10 like these awesome tools for amazon but nothing really exists like this for for etsy like product research didn't really exist keyword research did but product research i'm like damn like you should be able to shortcut this thing so yeah that was that was the thing and then pretty soon at that point, I'm just like, I had this idea for a while of like launching this thing that does, does this for Etsy. But then I was always like, does it, is it really the thing I want to do forever? You know, like, do people even care about this? You know, and I don't think so because otherwise it would already exist. That whole like, you know, fake <laughs> thing in our brain. If somebody really cared about this, somebody would have done it. You know, I, I, I've fallen victim of that mindset so many times of like anything worth doing has already been done. I'm just this insignificant, like, you know, leaf in yep. the wind. And then, you stumble upon virgin territory, especially with like the pace of tech and development and culture and technology. And you're like, oh, wow, nothing. You know, the way the future is going to be in 30 years has nothing to do with how it is right now. And it's Crazy. people like you and me who are going to create you, me, and the, the, you know, you listening. I mean, it's, you know, the, the future is not predicted, it's created. And that's, that's right. the only way to predict a future is to create it yourself. What was, what was the initial reaction to ever be like when you first put it out? Like, like take me through that. How did that work? Yeah. So, um, built the first version, which was by the way, terrible. Um, when I say terrible, like it did, it did exactly what it's supposed to do, but not one thing more, you know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was a single tool. It was a single tool. Um, okay. wasn't scalable, but you know what? It, I'm so grateful for that first version because it basically got us like, if I knew that if we can get to like one user, I'm like, okay, we have something, you know? And then pretty soon we got to 10. I'm just like, Oh, we, we kind of, we have, this is cool. Okay. Um, now the question was like, would people pay for this? You know? And that's so always free. This is just like a free user at this point. We launched it at free at first. Um, it was a free trial actually. And as soon as we got, as soon as I realized that we, oh, somebody put their credit card in to try this thing. I'm like, wow, this must be valuable enough for somebody to at least put their credit card in, you know, yeah. that was a pretty cool feeling. Um, and then when we got somebody to actually convert, you know, and someone paid, I'm like, this is we're now we're onto something, man, this is awesome. And, uh, the feedback was overall, like, positive though. Like it was, it was enough indication of like, okay, we might have something here, but it wasn't like enough for me to be like, let's quit everything we're doing. Let's like go all in. It wasn't like that. It was yeah. more like, this is cool. I wonder what, I wonder if we should explore this more, you know? And then 
yeah, that's kind of the feedback really at the time. Um, I wasn't really sure what it was going to be at that point. Um, but it, it was an, it was enough indication that we should continue down the path. That's where, that's where we were. I love that. Take me through like the psychology of like, what, like, you can tell me kind of how it evolved to like, what kind of, what kind of mind frame are you in when you're like, you know what, I need ever be in my Etsy business. Like what kind of, what kind of person would sign up and how would that transform their, their business? Like, t- tell me about that. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it comes from like my experience of you inventing products. Cause I want to, we all like, not all of us, some, some entrepreneurs are like inventors, right. And they like want to invent the thing and like start build something from scratch, build something, nothing, nothing ever been built before. Of course like we all have this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Shark Tank. And so I, I did that. Um, and I, I built this like, like a towel clip for like the gym. Right. And it was like yeah. magnetic and like did all this thing. Didn't use any product research, uh, to do this thing. And I spent so much money and so much time and so much effort and energy yeah. inventing this thing because I had this hope and dream that it's going to be successful. And by the way, I don't regret any of that, but it didn't do anything. It didn't really create that many sales. Like it created some, to be honest, to, to be fair, but it wasn't like, I could have just saved like years of my life of thinking about this thing. If I just would have used a research ahead of time, like, is there a demand for something like this? Um, it's much better for someone to, an, an inventor mindset to see what's already out there and then build upon the shoulders of the people that have done it before us. Walking on the shoulders of giants, right? Exactly. Um, why would, you know, why would we go and cr- kind of create, reinvent the tire right now? Like when, when you're trying to build a car, like just, take the car, you know, and then make the car better, but don't reinvent the tire. Like the tires, if it does exactly what it's supposed to do for now, you know, you can reinvent it later, but. You know, it's so curious. You say that um, I was watching this interview with Elon Musk a couple of years ago. He said when he first made the first, you know, Tesla, um, he used the body of like a Lotus Elise and um, he used a pre-existing sports car mm. uh, in England and he built everything around that, but then put an electric engine. So he didn't reinvent the tire. He didn't reinvent the windshield. He didn't reinvent the I don't know, steering wheel until much, much later. Oh, really? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So he like, he, he used something that was already working. that was already popular. It was like one of the best seller, one of the best selling, like, you know, two door coupe roadsters in England at the time. It's funny. I lived in England at the time. I grew up with it. And uh, I was very familiar with the the first Tesla was based on a very popular gas car in England called the Lotus Elise. I think it's a little bit of pride. I think it's a little bit of pride in there. And ego, ego, I think probably plays a role in like having to like, I'm going to build my thing from scratch and the world's going to love it. And it's like that that artist type of mindset, you know? Yeah. And it's going to beat the thing that's been market validated across hundreds of thousands of users. I mean, the the odds are not in your favor. Every, every hundred years it happens, but the odds are not in your favor. I think it's partially because we, we celebrate these stories like on, on through Showtime or through like these, you know, Hollywood movies and stuff like that. Like these inventors that created something out of nothing, but I don't, I call BS. I don't don't think that those actually, that's not how the story actually went. Like even Thomas Edison and Nicholas Tesla and all these amazing, amazing inventors were still based on, you know, Newton's laws in the 1600s that were based on Faraday's law that, you know, like 17, 1800s, yep. Swedish and Scottish and German and English and Japanese, like amazing people, like putting this body of knowledge one after another, after another. And finally we got the steam engine and finally we got the, you know, the, you know, the combustion engine. And then we got diesel, then we got jet, you know, we got propeller planes and we got jets. And <laughs> exactly. Got, yep. You know, spaceships, but that started with the three, you know. Yeah. You build on the shoulders of giants. I agree. Like. Totally. Um, but the f- feedback was positive. Like everybody like had something going. So just kind of go deeper. We had our e-commerce thing still going too. And that was fine. Um, 
but it wasn't like, I really wanted to be in software. I wanted to be full-time into like software because I felt like my love was kind of getting pulled over that in that direction. And I found like I was focusing a little bit less on e-commerce because I really started like falling in love with this like software thing, like building tool and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, built awesome. the first version and then eventually went to built the second version um, and that got a little better. And then pretty soon realized, because it was just me and basically I used agency, an agency at this time, a couple of agencies uh, to help me build the first version. And, but I didn't have anybody working full-time with me on this thing. It was just me and like the agency. And, uh, at this point I'm like, I need somebody to like talk with every day to interact with every day and like talk about ideas, test stuff, break stuff, fix stuff, whatever it is together. And yeah, kind of own it with you and not, you're not just barking orders. Exactly. Cause I didn't have a co-founder, right. It wasn't that, I didn't have a co-founder, like technical co-founder in the mix with me. It was like me. And of course, like my wife is my therapist and like, uh, you know, things like this. Keeping you, yeah, keeping you sane. And at this point, I don't have a job anymore. I don't have a job anymore. Um, uh, at this point, I have one, one. Uh, I have a kid, I have a, I have a son. So I'm married with a son and I have no job. I do have my e-commerce business, which is fine, but it wasn't like, we had great year. We had a great months and we had great years, but it wasn't like, you know, we live in San Diego, California, like yeah. play, it's expensive here. Um, and so where were we going with that? Um, so at that point, what was the transformation? Like you had someone come in, maybe they're a new e-commerce seller. They, they wanted to maybe invent a product, but then they found Everbee. Like, like take us through the journey of transformation that somebody new to, to Everbee would, would encounter. I mean, I think it's the aha, the aha moment is like, oh, wow. Like I don't need to like invent all this stuff. I just like, I can, I could validate that something is already selling and then I can improve upon that and I could make it my own like that right there. As soon as I started seeing people do this, like people, like literally people like me and you, right? Like people like my sisters and like people that sell on Etsy, they, instead of like the question first, when, they, when they're like, I want to start an Etsy business, they're like, well, what do I sell? You know? Yeah. And so what they do is they ask like their mom and their sisters and like, people you know, who don't know anything about e-commerce. Don't know anything about e-commerce. And they're just like, oh, you should sell like, yep. But instead, I was starting to notice that exactly what I hoped to what hoped would happen is people started saying, type in Etsy, and then just click on analytics, and they could see, oh, well, I want to sell these things, but like, let's check it, you know? Oh, wow, baby blankets do sell really well here, you know? And I can make that. And I can make it even better by doing this or doing this and making my own design. And baby blankets sell well, but also football team logos sell well. I wonder if I put, a, a, or I don't know, football and baby blanket probably don't mix well, but like you get two trends that you find and you put them together and suddenly you've got a brand new product that's already, you know, 80% of the risk or maybe 50% of the risk is already taken out for you. So it's like, that's right. it's, like it's almost like a crystal ball into the future. It's, it's incredible. I totally agree with this. And the transformation is that people don't have to fail so many times. Yeah. Like, like you don't have to launch so many products that fail so many times. If you could just cut that down by 50% or 80%, man, yeah. like that's, a, that's enough for me to be like, I'm dedicating my life to that kind of thing. Literally being able to see the future a little bit. Can I can I throw in a story, like a personal story, how yeah, it kind of impacted me? Um, I remember I okay, so I'm gonna tell this very quickly, but um I was a professional photographer. Um I traveled all I worked in interior design, I helped thousands of families kind of put their homes together. And um in 2017, I was asked by a Amazon coach hey, I'm taking a group of 30 people to China with me. Do you want to be our official photographer? And we'll, we'll cover your flights, your, your meals, your hotels, and like a, all, all uh, 
all expenses paid to, to China. We're not going to pay you other than like your trip. I'm like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I went in a group of 35 people who are all elite Amazon sellers. And at that time, there was this big problem. Like people would spend hours and hours in the hotel lobbies, like on their laptops, doing product research. And like, and I remember there was always this question of like, how the hell do um, the top sellers, like, like, like the category kings, the people who sell 80% yeah. dish towels in this category, how did they get there? Like, what is their SEO? And there was ways of guessing at it. There was ways... When I first started using Everbee, there's this little button that says like reveal tags. You click the button and every tag, SEO tag that the top competitor on Etsy uses yeah. is instantly available. So I like as a landscape photographer, I have over a thousand students that uh, that I teach, you know, how to sell on Etsy. And I'm just like showing them this and just like their jaw drops like live on a Zoom call. Like, like I'm coaching 20, 30 people and they're like, wait, what? We can take the number one king of the hill and see transparently every single tag they're using. Sure, they've got history. They got sales history. So you can't steal their SEO 100%. But just knowing what tags are right there, absolute game changer. Of all the things I love about Everbee, that's head and shoulders my above everything else. I just... One click. Oh, and then there's like a button next to it. It's like copy all these tags to clipboard. And then you can copy paste that into a spreadsheet, Google document, or a different tab where you have your, you have your tags open. You like copy, paste, and bam, you're on equal playing ground. It's like years of entrenched knowledge and like, you know, an unfair advantage they have over you. Boom. Your level with the masters instantly. Exactly. And now it becomes, now it levels the playing field a little bit more to like, who's the best product? Yeah. Right? Which is actually what it should be about. Anyway. Yeah, who gets the best, not who's been here longer, who exactly. got lucky and started in 2007, you know? Yeah, exactly. We, I mean, it creates this, this super cool economy of like innovative products are coming out, better products, better images, like more trust with buyers. Like all of these things start to matter more than just like the, the tags that somebody puts in their, in their keywords, which by the way are super important, but they shouldn't be the most important thing. The best product should win. Totally um, agree. So it democratizes the... Democratize the, the the listing already. So cool. So we got like five minutes left. Um, this has been so interesting. Like, like a whole background on like business and how you got into this. What would you what would you say? Like, let's say someone's you know thinking about selling on Etsy, or maybe they're already selling on Etsy, or they have an, an established store. Like, like what what does Everbee do that like nobody else does? Like, why is it why is it relevant? Why is it important? Well, first of all, like I think our community is 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 the strongest. Like you, you'll never find a team that's more dedicated to like to their customers. Like I mean it. Like we at, at this date of recording, like we're 15, 16 people total in our company. Like internal, full time, ever be employees. Wow. Um, like the the most important thing to us is like culture, and we have a core values that we use. And like one of them is like all in commitment, and another one is like uh you know total customer obsession. You know, meaning we're totally obsessed with our customer, and our our customer is an Etsy seller. So like just that alone, um, right away puts us ahead of the game when it comes to like serving our customers. How does that translate in terms of uh, how does that translate for the customer? Like, is there a Facebook group they can join? Are there like totally. tips that they can get? Like how? How does one get into the Everbee universe? Yeah, so, so as soon as everybody becomes, and if anybody becomes like an Everbee user, um, immediately they get, or pretty much immediately they get invited to a private Facebook group, which is a community of just other Etsy sellers, just talking, asking questions. I'm in there answering questions occasionally too. Our team is in there asking questions sometimes, just like a support system, right? First of all, like uh, it's so dark being entrepreneurs in general. Yeah. Uh, 
then specifically having like friends that talk about Etsy specifically, like you don't have any friends talking about Etsy, you know, a whole lot. One maybe, and chances are they're not as successful as you, right? <laughs> exactly. So may as well, like, let's connect all these people and put them all in the same group. So first of all, they're right, right there. Um, our team is, I keep talking about my team, but like literally because they've built Everbee now at this point, like Everbee, when I first launched it, the story I was telling you is not what Everbee is today. Everbee today has like, again, full-time people thinking about Everbee all day, thinking about the customers every day. Like our engineering team is absolutely like amazing. Our customer support and service team, amazing. Like our product team is amazing. Meaning like they care. That's what I'm saying. Like they care the most. Um, this translates to awesome products, awesome features. Uh, so what do we have over everybody else? I mean, first of all, that community second, we're, our algorithm is more accurate than I think like our estimates are more accurate than any other, uh, tool on the market. Um, simply because again, we care more, we've actually dug in more to the algorithm. Uh, we're going to be building more product research fe features. Um, we're also going to be building more like SEO optimization features. We're like building more, we have, we just launched trademark monitor, to help with this whole suspension thing going on all the time with Etsy, people infringing on trademarks. We have that um, email marketing. We're building that right now. Like we're jump, which is super cool uh, for Etsy sellers too, by the way, like email marketing for Etsy sellers and according to terms of service, um, like not against Etsy's terms of service. Yeah, stay friendly with the platform. Don't get suspensions, bans. Yeah, exactly. Something like we, we've built it. We're going to build it in a way that's like all kosher when it comes to Etsy. Like they're okay with it. Um, I know Aweber right now is the only person in the integrations list. So yep. what are you going to have over Aweber? Yeah, we're going to be more like a suite. I'm pretty sure they make like an integration. That's pretty much an integration with their entire platform. Um, for us, we're going to be focusing more on like done, done for you type of service. Everything Everbee does is done for you. Like that's that's the mentality that we have. Yeah. A trademark, mon trademark monitor is done for you. Like you don't need to like monitor all your listings manually. We do it for you. Email you marketing. If if you get an alert if you need to look at it, but you don't have to log in every day and check everything. You Exactly. Um, email marketing, kind of a similar thing. It's going to ask for like that. It's going to give an order confirmation, delivery confirmation, shipment confirmation. It's the wrong order. Uh, review request. Um, all that stuff done for you. So you wow. can get more reviews. You could also like create upsells. Automatic triggers and just like running yeah. the whole thing so you don't have to worry about it. Exactly. Now, and if you want more control, you could obviously... You're building an email list also. You can import an email list to this and you could like actually market just like a typical email service tool. You could also write your own emails and all that good stuff too. Um, uh, and then print on demand is is the future, I think, with just multiple products. And so we're gonna we're investing heavily and just we wanna we wanna be the one-stop solution for global e-commerce, simplified global e-commerce. So so our future looks like this. Um or our past looks like this. We have we had zero users in 2021. Now we have over 130,000 users. Um, it's growing. It's insane. <laughs> and and I'm talking like awesome sellers, right? Awesome people. And then we have our future looks like it's going to be two million users in the near future. Um, and we'll be serving like millions, millions of customers, millions of sellers across the entire world that doesn't have borders. And that's kind of like the division because like really our our big why is. We believe that e-commerce should be accessible to everyone, like everyone across the globe. Like we believe yeah. that if anyone, you know, really truly commits to something that they should, they should succeed. And so any, all the features that kind of roll up underneath that type of mission, that why statement is, yeah. is what we want to achieve. Um, well, and I won't be able to do it without like awesome, awesome team, like awesome, you know, people, friends like you, um, are awesome sellers. Like, man, I don't know. I'm just so grateful as you can kind of tell, uh, I don't know what to say, but.
Yeah. How how big is the uh, so cool? How big is the uh, the Facebook group? I think we have like eleven thousand people in the group. Um, nice. And we don't really push it. It's like we just invite one time. We don't like try to. We don't spam people to try to. Like it's legit. Like people, they they join because they need it and they want to be in there. We don't like try to add a bunch of people in there just because. There's like internal discussions and like guidance from from peers and all that stuff. Yeah, totally. Screenshots are happening. Success stories. A lot of questions and failures and stuff too, which is cool. It's like yeah. help people. Um, so it's like a second line of support when when you want to get a secondary viewpoint or something like that. Exactly. Yep, for sure. Um, but man, yeah, like overall, just grateful for what we built so far. Not even close to finished. Like we barely even got started with what we're trying to build and you know the support that we're trying to give to all entrepreneurs across the globe. And we have a big vision and it's going to be hard to achieve it, but we're not in a big rush to do it. You know, it's, we're in this thing for five or 10 years or more. So I remember that stood out to me when I first met you. I was like, Hey, so it's like, what's your vision? You know, you're trying to sell in three years. A lot of tech entrepreneurs, just, just for anyone listening, they're often like, yeah, you know, I want to like build something up to X amount of million dollars and then sell it and then retire in Hawaii or something like that. And from the, from the get go, Cody's been very consistent of like, you know what, we're trying to build something amazing and we're trying to like help a lot of people and. I think that relates back to that core value earlier. You're like family, helping people, but then also being able to make money so that your family isn't stressed about money. You don't have to worry about medical insurance. And I'm sure that translates over to helping e-commerce sellers do that as well. So it's exactly. like, that's really cool. You really stay consistent with those values and hearing that you have like this long-term plan to continue increasing the amount of help that you deliver to these e-commerce sellers. It's just really inspiring. So I just, I'm proud to be part of this community and um Thank you for the interview. This is this is amazing. Thank you. Amazing, man. Thank you, Greg. Seriously, man. I appreciate it. Um, you didn't have to do this. I'm really happy that you brought it up to do it. Uh totally. stressed me a little bit too, kind of telling the story. Um, so <laughs> hopefully it came across as somewhat clear, but overall, I'm just grateful. I thought it was very genuine, very raw, and, and awesome. Is there any is there anything you want them to do? Like go follow everybody on Instagram or like like any any particular places they should follow to just be kind of up to date with the news? Yeah, I mean, if you're um if you're a seller or you want to be a seller uh, on Etsy or any other platform, really, you should be 100% tied to Everbee. You should be an Everbee user. It's free, uh, free forever. Um, you should at least be tied into the community. Um, and if it adds value to you and you're, you're depending on your journey, like sign up. Um, like everyone, we're, we're, we're breaking the barrier to entry so low. It's free. Uh, all, and all you have to do is put your name and email in and you're now a user. Uh, and then I just guarantee like when someone joins the Everbee community that they're going to grow, whether it's financially or personally or professionally, whatever it is, like they're going to grow. Cause that's the whole point of like, we're, we focus on growth. We don't believe in like staying still. Um, and yeah, I mean, overall just enjoy the journey because entrepreneurship is not an easy one. Like you would say, I'm sure you agree, Greg is it's, it's messy. It's chaotic. It's ugly looking sometimes. It's not what everybody says. Under, yeah. People don't understand it from the outside. So like, why are you so stressed out? why are you still up at two in the morning? You're making plenty of money or like, come on, your work will be there tomorrow. What are you doing? But it's like, it's that passion. It's that dedication. You know, exactly, man. And, and like our sellers, I, I truly believe this. Like, we're not like, we're not, we're different breed. You know, like our customers are totally different breed. We're entrepreneurs and like, we don't count the clock. We don't count the hours that we're working. We, we have a mission that we're trying to achieve. If that mission is $5,000 a month for your family, is it $10,000, $20,000 a month for your family? Like, that's all we need to know. That, that's, that's the mission. We're going to achieve the mission. Um, it doesn't, we're not counting like, oh, well, it's, you know, time to clock out now. It's like, no, we're, we have a, we have a goal to achieve and we go and get it. And, okay. and that type of mentality, I think carries on. Love that. 
Is there anywhere else on social media they should be following? So everbee.com. So ever, like the word ever. Yeah, everbee.io. Mm -hmm. We do it on the .com, but we haven't actually shifted over everything to it. Um, so okay. everbee.io. Uh, you can also follow us on, on YouTube, of course. Um, everbee, that's it. YouTube channel, everbee.io, I think. Uh, I'm not really, I'm not really active on Twitter or Instagram. Maybe one day I will be like kind of attack that, but really focus on just delivering value to our customers. So everything else is a distraction. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode. Cool. Bye. Bye.